G'day. Welcome to SEO Success Stories. My name is Russ McCumber, and every two weeks we talk search engine optimization with the world's leading SEO practitioners. We interview a mix of in-house SEO leads from the world's biggest brands and SEO thought leaders, many from leading search technology brands, plus the world's foremost SEO educators. They'll all be lifting the hood on their own SEO journey, as well as sharing the tips and tricks behind how the best and brightest minds in SEO go about their trade of dominating the SERP. SEO nerds, this one's for you. Hello and welcome to another episode of SEO Success Stories. Today with me, I have Nick Leroy of SEO for Lunch and SEOjobs.com fame. G'day, Nick. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. No worries at all. Really good to have you here. As the intro states, we have all sorts of experts in this field on, on the podcast. Nick comes from very much a, a practitioner perspective, but he's also with the SEO jobs. He's also serving the community. So I'm really keen to get into his history and you know how he's gotten to where he is right now. You're also a very strong proponent of the consulting life, which we will get into. Before we do that though, I do always ask our SEOs one big question at the start. So I'll kick off here. Nick, what do you think is the number one biggest challenge that SEOs face in 2023? Without a doubt, it's just getting buy-in and actually executing SEO strategies. Pretty recurring theme we have here that, you know, there's lots of really smart, technical, technically brilliant SEOs out there. But as any, as much as anything, it's a, it's a stakeholder management role. You know, it's it's getting your initiatives over the line with either decision makers or with influencers and it's building consensus and so getting that traction for what you're trying to do is is going to be a challenge, which I think is going to stay pretty consistent for the foreseeable future outside of algo changes and everything else. Without a doubt. No, absolutely. I always tell people that I'm doing less of the actual SEO itself, but what I have is being a bulldozer, just getting the right people in position and the wrong people out of position. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. That's a really good way to put it. All right. Well, love the audience to find out a bit more about yourself. You know, we've got people who are in-house SEOs. We actually have loads of either, you know, new to SEO or SEO freelancers. So I'm sure they're going to, you know, be really keen to hear about your journey. So could you just rewind back to the very, very start? I'd love to hear about your very first job in marketing, whether it was SEO or, or not related. How did you get a foot in this particular space? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the one thing that's super nice about this story is it shows from day one how key networking is. So I graduated from college in that dreaded 2008 era where there were no jobs. Uh, the, you know, kind of the mini depression was going on. And honestly, even the job fairs I went to, there just was far and few people actually hiring. So um, long story short, I had a friend who knew a friend that said, I know a small web development firm that is looking to hire a project manager. And I said, great, at this point, I need to graduate, get a big boy job and start making money. Um, went in for the interview. And funny, the very first thing the owner had told me was, so I filled that position last week. And I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit thinking, great, I got like a pity practice interview. And we started talking a little bit. And he actually goes, what do you know about SEO? And it was interesting because I had like one development class where there was just a reference of SEO and I barely knew what it was, but me uh, being super junior and not knowing how to really uh, put a filter on, 
I told him, I go, I know Black Hat SEO is about like getting porn sites to rank. And that's what I said to the, and he kind of laughed. He's like, well, he goes, here's the thing. He's like, I'm looking to hire somebody right out of school that I essentially don't have to pay a ton of money for to kind of self-teach SEO. Because as a web development firm, we are creating websites and then sending them out to SEO agencies. And I would love to try to capture, you know, some of that revenue. And at that point, like I said, I was a, a motivated, you know, graduate that, you know, wanted to get a job. And I was like, sure. Yeah, me go. Let's do this. $18 an hour to start. And, you know, I, I just kind of going from there. I've been absolutely infatuated with search ever since. What were you studying? Did you study marketing? So I was in management information systems. So it was kind of the business okay. side of IT. That's interesting too. I think also for any juniors that are any, anyone, you know, in college or coming out of college, I know just from a hiring perspective, that hustle really matters. Like, you know, especially right now where there's not as many jobs out there and you've still got the graduates coming through. And I feel like that, you know, that story there where you, you know, it's, it's through a friend of a friend, you're in there and. You know, it's not the job you applied for, but you, you know, you, you, you pivot on the spot and yep, I can do that. And you sort of bring a bit forward. I, I feel like even six, eight months ago, some of the juniors and graduates that I spoke to coming out were like, that, like really high demands. And, you know, they, because they had a, a pick of a lot of roles and myself yep. was a kind of, you know, small agency here, mid, mid-level agency as in terms of our global size, we, you know, we couldn't compete on those sorts of things. So it's interesting, you know, as the wheel has turned and the marketing roles aren't as plentiful these days, uh, you know, I've had some people coming through who have that bit of hustle. I had a, a girl last week who created her own website and she actually put my agency on it. Like, and it was like really cool. I was like, oh, and I reached out and she's actually not, a, she's not available for like six months, but I told her, come back to me when you finish studying, I'm going to remember you and I totally yep. will. So I think that kind of, that kind of grit and hustle is, is, uh, you know, a really good learning lesson. Yeah, you, you have to be motivated. I mean, even back in, like I said, 2008, when I was graduating, all I was told day in and day out is you should expect $50,000 and not a penny less. And, you know, you have an in-demand job. And then, you know what I found out? I found out because I wasn't um, the absolute A-plus crop with a 4.0 GPA that, you know what, C's might get you a degree, but C's don't get you a job. So I ended up, like you said, hustling. It's like, get that first job, show your value. And the good news is nobody's going to ever ask you about your GPA ever again. Totally. I could, that is like the hundred percent. And I have this conversation with people quite often around, I found out the other day that a girl that works for me, has got like a crazy high GPA and she's like really, really incredibly book smart. I know she's smart because she works for me, but I never even thought to ask that question. And I never looked down that path. So you're spot on. Once you're in there, prove your worth, show that you can be coached and be humble and, and learn and take on feedback. That's so, where your real value shines, shines absolutely. through. Absolutely. Let me um, tell you and your audience a, a fun story, especially for those uh, junior, because they'll appreciate this. So I made mention earlier about how I went to career fairs. And I remember there was one company. I had a conversation with the recruiter. We hit it off. I thought it was going really, really well. And, you know, we were already talking about how I could jump into like the interview process. And then he kind of goes, oh, you, I forget, you know, just for formality, let me see your resume. And I handed it to him. And like I said, my GPA was not great. I think I was sub 3.0 and I gave it to him and he handed it right back to me and goes, I'm sorry, like, we're not going to interview anyone with under a 3.0 GPA. And I was crushed. 
But here's the the funny part about it is like I remember to this day, you know, several jobs later, I was at an agency and that company that wouldn't interview me for an in-house position, I was the SEO for the agency that oversaw their entire company's SEO strategies. They were paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for me to work for that agency, but I wasn't good enough to be hired as an entry-level role. I love that. So I, I love that. That's so cool. And as I had worked with them for a couple of years, like later on, I had told some of the leaders about that. And, you know, it was kind of a, fun, uh, a chuckle. But, you know, again, I think it just kind of goes back to what we were saying, though. It's like work hard and, you know, be your biggest advocate because you never know. It's like I wasn't good enough to work for them, but I was good enough for them to pay two, three times what my salary would have been easily <laughs> through another company. Yeah, 100%. I love that. I love that. Too much retail. I've got so much to share on that front. But one last thing, just on that kind of work hard, get yourself in position. Like I, I coach basketball, really little basketball. My kids play basketball and I'm always talking about, you know, who gets the most rebounds. It's not the tallest. It's a guy, it's a person who works the hardest. It's about getting into position. So putting yourself in that space, clearing out space behind you, knowing what's around you and getting in position. Sounds pretty similar to, you know, putting yourself in the right place to, to get the job that you want. Well, working hard it has a lot of value. I mean, it, it sounds really obvious, but to your point, I think there's a lot of people that just kind of assume that we are all owed a job and right now of all time, realizing that that's not the case. So work harder than everybody else because that's not the only thing you can control. It's a great point of difference. So you're at that web firm, you're teaching yourself SEO for $18 an hour. How, how long were you there and how did that learning go? Like what, what, period, what year are we talking here? Yeah, so this was, I think I started... It was like the first month of January. So I think I technically started in 2009. I stayed there for about two years and I loved everything about the job. The problem was, is I was kind of on an island. I was the only one that knew SEO. So I had no clue. Did I actually, you know, did I know SEO? Was I good at it? Or I was, was I just the best in a room of one? So after a certain amount of point in time, I needed to really kind of challenge myself. So there was a company here locally in Minnesota and they were one of the largest SEO agencies in the state working exclusively with lawyers. And I knew they had a team of like 25, 30 SEOs. And I was like, what a better way to truly see if I know my stuff. And if I don't, I'll have a bunch of smart people to teach me. And if I do know my stuff, you know, I will get validation real quick. So I got that job and was very fortunate to um, find out that I actually did kind of know what I was doing and found out very quickly that, you know, the cream rises to the top real quick and stayed there for a couple of years. And that left me a lot of flexibility as my wife and I were starting our family, you know, and you and I were talking offline before this about flexible work schedules before COVID. And at the time, I think I was working in the office two days a week and at home three days a week. At that point, the only reason I had left that job was because we were pregnant again with twin girls. And it kind of got to the point where my wife was saying, with three kids now, I think it makes sense for me to stay home. You know, And I was like, I'm completely on board, but I'm not making enough money to make this work. So she committed to stay home. I went and got yet another job. This was the job that then I mentioned earlier about going into one of my clients being the company that went hire me out of college. So I stayed there for about four or five years. And that's where I really had kind of built more on the business acumen of SEO consulting. Yeah, you know, how does it work from a business side versus strictly execution? 
after that, went to one more agency where I had oversaw the entire SEO team. I was let go because of COVID. And now I am where I am now as a freelance consultant. And I am uh, going on about two and a half years now doing it all on my own. And it's the best decision I've ever cool. made. That's so great. I'd love to dig into that a bit deeper. Before we get there, that move you made, I love it when you're, you're like, am I, the, am I good at SEO? Or am I just the smartest person in a room of one? Right. When you made that move, was that an agency when there was 25 SEOs? It was, yep. It was, that's right. Agency that specialized in law firms. Was that like a lateral move? Was it up? Was it down? I'm curious, like in terms of, yeah, career progression. I guess it, it, it was up. So I think, like I had mentioned, I started at $18 an hour, my very first one. That was originally a six-month contract. And then I got hired at like 30000 And I remember I got up to like $52,000 and I felt like I, well, I literally had almost doubled my salary. So I felt like that was the most money I've ever seen. But yeah, it was up and you know, successful from every angle. So you've worked at you know, a few different agencies before you went freelance. What were some of the, the brands that you worked on? I'm actually curious, before you started taking on your own clients, what were some of the, were there any known brands or were they more SMB, mid-market? What was the go there? Um, so a lot of them were large, you know, brands, you know, some of them that you've heard of, you know, large brands, you know, the one that for instance, didn't hire me was General Mills. And I had overseen uh -huh. their tea uh, recipe websites, yeah. Betty Crocker, Pillsbury, a couple other ones. And a different agency oversaw the SEO strategy for Wiley Education. And they have their own uh, portfolio of I think it was 50 some schools when I first started working with them. And by the time they took everything in house, they were up to like a hundred different schools. So going from law firm SEO to recipe websites to educational websites. So really it kind of touched every angle of the internet from small 20 page legal websites to recipe websites that, you know, drive millions of visits per day. I'll tell you what, I had a, um, when I had Gatano Donati on this, he was talking about when he's hiring SEOs for his team, if they've had some agency experience, like that's really something he's looking for because they have like just broad vertical experience. The interesting thing about it is, you know, they've worked across a range of different industries so they, they can understand, but they can switch and change. So you know that they're malleable to that. But what it also gives you is it gives you like a really clear understanding that there are principles which are translatable across mm -hmm. and it's and the ones that can pick and choose the tactics and the, you know, the, the strategies that are actually translatable and will have an impact in, you know, your business. They're ones that, you know, that you really, you really quite clearly look out for. What, what are your thoughts? I mean, you've come from an agency background and, and then moved to the consulting. Do you have any sort of thoughts on, on that? Yeah. So I, I kind of call myself a recovering agency SEO because everything I had done prior to going out on my own was agency side. And I think the biggest benefit to agency SEO as a whole is, like you had mentioned, you get this breadth of experience. It's whether it's different niches that you're in, different technology, different sizes. And that is just a huge opportunity. I, I always tell people that I think there's a significant benefit to starting your SEO career on the agency side, because I truly think at the right agency, you can learn five years worth of SEO in say three. And then I know you're probably not going to like this next point, but I think the one mistake that I made is after you become proficient, then I think you should potentially go in-house because I think that's where you can make more money and have a little bit more work-life balance. That's the one mistake that I had made, but I, I do think the agency is kind of the, the turbo fun 
for being able to get used to SEO and learn a lot more of the industry. And also learn processes. Like if you're like, cause agencies deal with a range of clients and a number of clients with different deadlines. If it's a good agency, like they are, they should have really strong systems and processes in place, which is a really good thing to be able to take in-house somewhere that potentially has never had it. I've worked with plenty of SEOs who've, who've done that. They've been agency side. They take those skills in-house. They, they're able to build systems and the like that potentially weren't there, but you're right. They get to get deeper into the brand, potentially have a bigger impact because it's easy to make those relationships as a person in the room, as opposed to, you know, person outside of the room. A lot of those make that exact trip though that you've mentioned. So they'll go agency, brand side, consultant. <laughs> like it yeah. seems like. Well, and I think, you know, in full transparency, I think as you do SEO more and more, you kind of realize one of two things, like it's okay to want to have a nine to five job and be good at your job. But then when you are done at the end of the day, you kind of want to punch out and be disconnected. For me, I always did a really, really bad job of disconnecting. So for me, the transition from like agency to being a solo consultant, like the rewards, you know, and the uncapped, you know, earnings, you know, was worthwhile because I had already adopted kind of the mindset, that ownership mindset of like, oh, you know, I'm always going to be available, but I got very little of the benefits previously. But it really set me up for a lot more of that success now. This is really good. And I want to talk more about this consultant and the transition to that. We will get into SEO for lunch a bit and we will we will get into SEO jobs and then potentially even like maybe a, a, a case study or something that you've, you've been able to implement. Yeah. But this is really good conversation. So I'm curious, like that transition, I know COVID happened. So, you know, part of it wasn't necessarily by choice at the time, but mm-hmm. did you have... And I'm a proponent of this, even as an agency owner, like, did you have side hustles at the time or did you have relationships that you were nurturing to get to that point? What was the situation there? Yeah. So all the above, honestly, day one of SEO, it was always more than just a job. Like I had kind of fallen in love with it since day one. You know, it's like when I wasn't doing it nine to five, I was doing something on the side, whether it was building my own website or taking out a freelance client, I was just so sucked into it. I just wanted to know everything that I could. So to answer your question directly, I've always had some sort of side hustle, whether it be like an affiliate website that I was building up on my own or a client or two on the side. And it what always started with kind of, I want to learn more. And then as we had started building our family, it turned into, I need to not have a capped income. <laughs> so I needed to take some of this on. And then it just kind of turned into more of a, your hobby turned into my full-time freelancing career. And, and I will say real quick, and we'll get into it a bit more. One of the best things that I had done that was kind of an accident was building my SEO for lunch uh, newsletter. It started out as a newsletter that I was sending just to my agency clients, kind of a, here's everything that's going on in the SEO world. Instead of me having cool. the same story to each one of the clients, I could just zip off an email and be like, here are three links. Here's what you should know and why you should care. And then it turned into kind of my, you know, my, what do you call it? Like an emergency fund. Because I had always been one of those employees that was probably never super easy to work with. I used to always joke, there's kind of like three lines in the sand and sorry, on the um, you know, podcasts are going to but the first line is kind of like meeting your expectation. And then there's pushing the expectations. And then there's like getting fired. <laughs> it's like, you have to make sure. <laughs> and I yeah. used to straddle the last two lines. So for me, 
newsletter when I made it public started turning into, okay, I have to straddle this line of like doing really, really good work and getting fired. So my thought was always, I can keep pushing that limit because if I were to ever get let go, you know, I'd have a newsletter with thousands of people that I could be like, Hey, I'm available. Can we work together? That's pretty cool. What a cool, you built yourself an own audience slash insurance policy. Exactly. Like I said, it was the the best mistake I didn't know that I wanted to do. Okay. Well, let's go there. How long ago was it that you launched the newsletter? And we've, we've talked about why it started and the sort of content you were sharing. Walk me through the journey of how long it's been running and what your, you know, subscribers and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So this morning I just sent out my 318th issue. So it's a little bit more than five years ago. And as I mentioned again, it started probably earlier than that because it wasn't officially public for probably a good six months. And I know I already kind of went into the story, but the whole idea was how do I recap all this great information that's going on in the industry and hold myself accountable to continuing to learn, you know, what's going on. And part of that is digesting what other people are saying and, you know, sharing in the industry. And more so, I know what a pain in the butt it is to have to like read all this content, do all your client work, do the business side of it. Like something has to give. And if you ask most SEOs, they'll tell you that's what they don't have time. So that was kind of where the newsletter came into. It's like, you know, and that's where I call it SEO for lunch. The tagline was always like, kind of get your bite-sized information over your lunch break. Because if I have to hold myself accountable to reading this stuff and learning, that doesn't mean everybody else has to spend hours. How about you do it for 20 minutes while you're munching on your sandwich? I do like that, you know, in terms of like holding yourself accountable, the thing with, and I have the same thing with, you know, having a podcast like this where I'm interviewing, you know, what I consider probably the most clever SEOs in the world, at least the ones that I can get a hold of. It means that I am, I know, I hold myself accountable and I know that our clients hold myself, hold us accountable to actually delivering, you know, best practice or, you know, delivering new insights, new experiments, that type of thing, because of the fact that, you know, I am producing content that talks a lot about that. So it does make you lift your game a touch. You know, you're learning, you're constantly learning and it also, you kind of have to lift your game. If you're sharing an article, which is about, if you're speaking to someone or you're sharing something which talks about some next level thing with chat GPT or whatever it is, you know, your clients are going to be expecting that level of work, potentially not that tactic, but you know, that level of work for them. Absolutely. One thing that I used to say when I was on the agency side and I had my team, I used to always tell people that they should sign up for my newsletter for one particular reason, that there's nothing more embarrassing that when you sit down with your client who has their SEO hat on top of 82 other hats that they got to wear. And they bring up to you some topic you have no clue about. You know, when they say, oh, hey, Nick, did you hear about, you know, ChatGTP3 and how it's, you know, helping SEO? And you're like, what? Like, you have no clue. Like, how embarrassing. Like, you're the SEO that's supposed to be doing this all day long. And you haven't heard about this, like, viral sensation that's going live and how it may or may not impact. Like now you don't have to be the expert on it, but you can at least say, oh yeah, you know, I did hear about that. And maybe I even clicked into it and played a little bit. Like that gives your clients a lot of validation that like you continue to be in touch with all the things that are changing in the SEO. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. And it's also, especially because lots of high performers, they're performing, they're producing, they're not necessarily, you know, trawling Twitter and LinkedIn for this content. So if you can present that to them, that that's certainly going to be positive. So what, what sort of numbers are we talking about? How many subscribers do you have? And 
Do you know like the location of them? Are they, are they all in you know concentrated in a couple of areas, or what's the go? Yeah, so I have about six thousand subscribers. It's always been a very passive approach until just recently. You know, I have a new goal where I'm going to try to hit ten thousand in twenty twenty three. Like I said, it's always been super passive and kind of word of mouth and existing subscribers sharing with their network. But really, it, it's all over the place. I have quite a few people that are local to me in Minnesota because I'm very vocal about signing up for it. But I mean, I have quite a few people over in Europe, you know, people in India as well. You know, I think that's one of the the best part of SEOs is, you know, we don't necessarily have the boundaries, you know, of any one particular place. If you've got internet connection, you can do SEO. Cool. So love it. Recap. SEO for lunch started when your agency side, informing your clients, got broader than that, built yourself, you know, a little insurance policy for, for who knows what, and it ended up being a really good resource for you to have shown your expertise over a number of years and to have a really strong network of relationships you've been able to garner. That's pretty cool. I know we'll probably jump into it a bit more, but when I did make the freelancing leap, that was the first thing I had done. I did one of two things. Uh, LinkedIn, I said, hey, I'm freelance. Anyone need some SEO help? And I launched an email out to all my subscribers and said, guess what? I'm freelance. Anyone need some help? <laughs> and I feel like those- Let's talk people... about that now. Yeah. What was the reaction like? I'm curious, like where did you get bigger bang for buck LinkedIn or the our mailing list? And did you get a bunch of tie kickers or was it like genuine interest? Like what was the go? It's really interesting. I feel like it all kind of went fast and furious. So I can't even recall, but I'll walk you through again. So like I already told you, there's the two things. I sent an email to my newsletters. I believe I got one project from that almost immediately, which was great because I was literally just trying to make some cash. Because if we take one step behind, I should let people know, I'm not one of those brave souls that gave up a solid paycheck to go freelance and risk it. I had actually lost my job in during COVID. And it was only after a couple, what I'll say, unsatisfactory interviews and some offers that I didn't think were worth my time, to be completely honest, that I made the decision to freelance. And then fast forward, what I said, message to the newsletter. I went on LinkedIn and posted it. I got a fairly big project just from posting on LinkedIn. So that was great. But one thing that I do share with people that if you are interested in freelancing, whether it's on the side or as full time, one thing I had done that I think was really beneficial and would recommend to people is with uh, LinkedIn, especially we're building this network over time and you know, you meet people, hopefully you're connecting with them. What I had done is I went through my entire list and I jotted down names of people in like a manager or more senior position that I felt like I had provided value to over the last like 10 years of my career, but I've never asked a favor. And I found like 10 people and I sent them a message and just asked for two things. I just said, hey, I'm going freelance. Do you have any tips for me? And two, are you willing to jump on a call just to kind of give me your POV? Like what kind of advice do you have? I didn't ask for work or anything, but what's interesting is Good. when you do that and you don't ask for anything in particular, if they have work available for you, they're going to offer it. And if they don't, they may be able to put you in touch with somebody else that does. And that's, you know, I think the key to networking. 100%. I think that's the thing. Like you don't realize I had a couple of situations like that in the last year where I had to put an ask out to people and I felt a bit like, oh, I don't know if I should. It feels a bit awkward, but I've definitely provided value and I've definitely helped them, you know, on my platform or I've connected them with other people. So that I'm, I'm all about giving. So that's been there. 
And I've been so surprised at how quickly people have come back and gone, of course. Yeah. Oh, what do you mean? Don't feel bad. Don't feel awkward. Cause I literally open with, oh, this is really awkward. I don't like asking this, but, and people, if you are genuinely putting good vibes out into the universe, people are pretty quick to have them bounce back to you. Absolutely. And especially if you're not asking directly, I mean, it's okay to always say, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. Do you have it? But if you're just saying like, Hey, I'm looking for advice or I'm looking for people to put me in touch with other smart people that may have work. You know, it's like you don't put them in an awkward situation where they have to feel compelled to provide. But if they are genuinely interested, they will. That's cool. So you you had a fair bit of experience behind you. You had the mailing list. You had relationships. You really got networking, that sort of stuff. And they were wonderful things. The SEO jobs, how did that come about? And would you have needed that at that time? I'm just curious. Like even you had... You probably would have jumped on there. What do you think? Yeah, I, I absolutely would have used it if I had known it existed. So long story short, kind of a fun story. So I have a, a co-owner and a partner in SEO jobs. His name is Peter Askew. And he and I have been kind of following each other on LinkedIn, or sorry, on Twitter for a while, small talk here and there. And his claim to fame is he buys premium domains that he believes that he can build essentially businesses on top of them. So unlike most domainers where it's like they just get an amazing.com and wait for somebody to pay a crazy multiple for it, you know, he buys things like VidaliaOnions.com. And then he actually built a business with a farmer who grows Vidalia onions and actually sells them. So he bought seojobs.com. And this was after he had success with another job board of his. And he just thought it was such a, a great domain that he couldn't pass it up. You know, he's very interested in SEO and, you know, considers himself an SEO to an extent as well. So he had been kind of nurturing this site, relaunched it. And he reached out to me and wanted to buy sponsorship on the SEO for lunch. You know, he's like, hey, I think your audience will like this. Are you interested? And I said, absolutely. This seems awesome. And he and I were kind of small talking and the ads went pretty good. And he just said, hey, I want to hop on a call and flat out said, are you interested at all being a part of this? Like, do you want to work on SEO jobs? Like you have a name in the industry. It's obviously what you're passionate about. And I think that can help take this to the next level. And I was like, absolutely. I said, the only thing is I don't want to commit time to it to only own like a fraction of it. I was like, if we're going to do it, I want to own 50% of it. Yeah. And I was like, so I want to know what it takes. And long story short, he and I, we came up with this great analogy. He's like, I'm totally into this. We can figure out the details. I'm not worried about it. But he goes, let's not get married before our first date. So he paid me for the first month just to like consult with him. And it worked great. It got to the point where it was only like two weeks into it. And I was like, okay, I'm ready to stop dating. I want to get married. Like, (laughs) I love this. That's cool. So he and I worked out the details and long story short, now we are equal owners within the site and, you know, everything else has just been in the past. But the main goal of the site, if it's not obvious, is uh, we are constantly posting, you know, job descriptions and job ads for companies that are looking to hire SEOs. The main goal is it's not even about necessarily competing with like the Indeeds and the LinkedIn jobs. But everybody here is probably nodding their head. We've all gone to LinkedIn or Indeed or ZipRecruiter. You type in SEO and like the first job you get is like a web developer position or like some sort of email outreach. And so our goal is never to compete with them, 
But when you come to SEO jobs, guess what? I, I can't say 100%, but 99% of the jobs say it's an SEO role, you know, whether it's remote and if it has a, a salary. So our, we want to be the big fish that does a really good job in a small pond versus Indeed and all these guys who, yes, they have SEO jobs, but it's such a microscopic portion of their business. They don't care enough to make it a really good user experience. That's great. It's a niche that you know really, really well. <laughs> I love it. And it's an, I mean, it's a niche that you're obviously both very passionate about. You know how frustrating it is for SEOs to land somewhere and, and have to filter through all that rubbish to actually find something that's relevant. So I think it's super cool. I mean, I've just done, as you've been explaining it all, I've done a little search SEO jobs to see how you guys rank here. And yeah, it's Indeed, LinkedIn, Simply Hide, and then you, SEO jobs. And it's, you know, yep. there'll be a few thousand searches a month, I imagine. It's a real, I mean, every single person that has gone to the site has always been very complimentary of it. And it's a simple design. It's a simple feature. The people that are paying for job listings are getting good applicants. And you know what I like most about it is, as somebody who has been let go of their job in the past, like I'm not always the biggest proponent of working for others, but now I realize that like going freelance is not always a solution for everybody, but SEO jobs, especially in this niche where people that are good at SEO will always have a job available to them. I love being able to give the power back to the people. Meaning if you are let go from a position for whatever reason and you have this skill set. Like I'm giving you a platform to succeed, you know, go find an employer that will appreciate you or is simply a better fit for you. And it's just kind of my way to be able to what I feel like is even the playing grounds between employer and employee, while at the same time, obviously be able to help the employers who value good quality employees. All right. So we've spoken a fair bit about a couple of these projects that you're working on and your history, but I mean, I'd love to hear about you on the tools. Because um, you are still an SEO, you're still a practitioner, yes? Like you're still consulting. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Every day. So can you share a story? And we don't need the brand name, but you know, just a specific situation where you, you're able to diagnose something, you put together some kind of hypothesis, and then you actioned it, and then, and then what happened? Let, let's hear it. Yeah. So one of my favorite testimonials, and, and I will pause for one second and say that's one of the critical things, similar to asking for when people have work available. When you do good work that, you know, works in the end, don't be hesitant to get a testimonial because this is one of my favorite ones that I have on my own website. I worked for a website and the CEO reached out to me and she basically had said, we have an SEO issue. We've been working on it for two years and we still can't get it right. And I'll tell you the testimonial and then I'll go into the details. So now I'm paraphrasing what she had said, but it says something along the lines of, we hired Nick to work on a project that we have been trying to diagnose internally for two years. And what we couldn't do in two years, he got done in two months. Oh, and it's just one of those things, if you know what you know, it's working well. But let me give you the rundown real quick of the situation. So this website is kind of the equivalent of Pinterest for like the construction niche. You know, people that are creating large companies and buildings, you know, it, like I said, it's kind of Pinterest. It's like, how do you take the pictures and see what these companies are building? But again, I want to emphasize that very heavy on the image side of it. And so the issue that they have been working on is they have these beautiful libraries of imagery of construction companies that are just building, again, just beautiful, beautiful, large companies. And none of it was getting indexed by Google. 
So this is like the whole basis of their site. Without getting exceptionally technical, what was happening is on the website, they had two images. One was the actual image of the product. So the company itself, like let's just say a specific room or a kitchen or a meeting room. And then there was a background image just to style it. And what we had found is the actual clickable element was the the background image. It wasn't the actual image itself that would take you to the dedicated page that they were trying to get indexed. Yeah, exactly. So basically what they did is they had all this great anchor text and all the, you know, quote unquote link juice going to background images, which would just be like a solid gray background. So what we were able to do is prioritize getting like the alt text on the proper image and link the proper image sending the users and search engines to the dedicated page. And then we saw literally, I, I don't want to say it's overnight, but I think I had calculated before jumping on here that it was an incremental 50,000 visits over the last calendar year. And it was simply because, as a lot of SEOs know, there's building your website so it's great from a user standpoint, which this one definitely got the check mark. And then there's doing it so that search engines can see it and and actively crawl, index, and you know serve up this type of content. So again, they had been working with various SEOs and web development firms and everything to solve this. And you know, after two years, you know, we were able to not only build that hypothesis, get buy-in, execute, and start seeing the results within about two months. So, what sort of resources did they have? They had was it internal, external, like a web dev agency or web dev internally? What was they going yeah, so They had an external agency that owned all their web development. And I was fortunate because I was working with the CEO. She literally just told them like, whatever Nick says goes and prioritizes it like as such, which that in itself is rare, but she was so dedicated to making this work and investing in her, her website's SEO. It, it was amazing. It's probably one of the smoother technical fixes just from a, Again, going from hypothesis to proposing a solution to QAing and going live. And we, we, and we touched on this earlier too. Like if you can have, you get executive buy-in, all those speed humps, all those hurdles that are usually there, well, it's magically clear. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? You know what? Nobody wants to tell their boss's boss no, unless there's a really good reason. That's super cool. Love it. What a great story. One last question. I don't want to get into our Vox Pop, which we ask every episode. And this question could also be, also be part of the Vox Pop, but I'm going to ask it here. Do you have any non-obvious favorite software tools that you use every day? I use this, I, I usually ask this question. Just something that I'm not meeting like a SEMrush or an Ahrefs. Like, what's something that people go, oh, that's interesting. Nick uses that. So, I'm so I've got two that I'm thinking of. One, I'm realizing when it comes to crawlers, like a lot of people know about like a SEMrush and you can kind of use their internal crawler. Some people might know about uh, Screaming Frog, but one I would recommend yep, we'll people use check out is Sightbulb. And it's very similar to like a Screaming Frog, but what I think the user interface is a lot more friendly for individuals that want to take screenshots and put it in like their audits. So Sightbulb.com is one that I would definitely recommend. And then another one that I would recommend is Content Harmony. So a lot of people that are used to building content briefs, you know, basically an outline of what type of content they should be creating for their website. Uh, content Harmony just helps you automate pulling some of the critical details that most people are looking for uh, when building their content briefs. 
And so that's another one that I like to use with my more content focused clients that not everybody has heard of. Very cool. Okay. Thank you. I've, yeah, uh, you I've literally popped them both in the browser. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So it was Sight Bulb and Content Harmony. Uh, it's time for our Vox Pop. So I'm going to throw some questions your way. And I just want the first thing that pops into your head. Don't think too hard. Let's do it. Which previous algo change still keeps you up at night? I'm going to say a combination of penguin and panda. Gun to your head. Which do you prefer, content or links? Links, without a doubt. What's the most effective link building technique that you've used? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I'm just going to say uh, PR-based initiatives combined with a strong brand. Excellent. I've had uh, Ferry Kazoni. Do you know Ferry? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I've had him on a, a couple of times um, talking nice. a lot about that particular technique. Is the skyscraper technique still relevant today? Absolutely. All content can be bigger and better. What do you love most about SEO? Oh, that's great. I think it's just like the infinite ability to win. I mean, literally, you could rank number one or you can make X amount of dollars and you can always do bigger and better every day. Yeah, sneaky unknown fact about SEOs is that they're just like incredibly competitive. It's part of what draws them to <laughs> Absolutely. How do you apply SEO principles to your daily life? Oh, I like that one too. I'd say the 80-20 principle. So 20% of what we're doing typically has 80% of the impact. Uh, Work from home life or office life or hybrid life? I reckon I know the answer here. I I like work from home, but I'll put an asterisk of like, I really do love a coffee or a happy hour meeting. (laughs) Uh, SEMrush or HREFs, if you had to choose one? SEMrush. Agency? or in-house or combo. This is actually more from the point of view of what do you think works best for brands? Oh, I think it really depends. I can't give you a snapshot. It, it's, it really does depend. Um, I would just say really it goes how mature is your brand and what type of budget do you have to be able to invest? Who is the first person that you look to when there's an algorithm change? Oh, I'm going to cheat and give you two names. I'm going to say Glenn Gabe and Marie Haynes. Glenn Gabe, Marie Haynes. All right, I'm going to get both those names down. Excellent. Awesome, Nick. Thanks so much. Really great conversation. A very, very varied career that you've had. You've you've survived a number of different big uh, algorithm uh, apocalypses and you've been agency side, client side, consultancy, and then all, you know, all the work you're doing for the community as well. I think it's a great example of someone who, who falls into their passion, you know, and is just so passionate about the work that they do and you know, that giving back part just sort of comes naturally. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. That was Nick Leroy. If they'd like to reach out to you, what's the best way to find you? Where should they connect? Absolutely. So check out my website at nickleroy.com. If you want to sign up for my newsletter, go to seoforlunch.com. And then uh, you can find me on Twitter at at Nick Leroy. And then obviously on LinkedIn as well to search for my name. You'll find me. Nick Leroy. Excellent. Thank you, Nick. All right, that's another episode of SEO Success Stories. We will be back in two weeks' time with another very clever SEO just to peek inside their brain and find out what they're doing to get their sites indexed and ranked. If you've enjoyed this episode, as we have been saying for a bit lately, we are on an Apple Podcasts review hunt. So jump on, write us a review, give it five stars. We would love that. And love to have you listening again to SEO Success Stories. I'm Ross McCumber. Thanks again. Thanks again.